Now would you open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And follow along as I read verses 1 through 17. We're going to read the entire chapter of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I praise the Lord this morning for the truth that the King is coming. And He is coming soon. But there are some things uh, that we need to know about the days preceding His coming. And we are living in the last days. And you'll find this phrase, the last days, latter times, referred to in many portions of the Scripture. As a matter of fact, we've been living in, uh, in one sense in the last days ever since the day of Pentecost when Jesus fulfilled His promise and the disciples received the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and He came to indwell them, and He's been indwelling believers ever since and ushered in what the Bible speaks of as the last days. But in the epistles of Paul, as he refers to the last days, he is referring not simply to that age from the time of Pentecost when the Spirit of God descended up until the time Jesus comes, but rather he is referring now to those days immediately preceding the coming of the Lord. And this is what he's referring to here. And the Christian needs to know, he must know and recognize what these days are going to be like. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as James and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This know that in the last days perilous times shall come, and the Christian needs to know that in the last days there are going to be perilous and difficult times. And as this age in which we are now living draws to its close, God will permit the enemy of man to accelerate and to fully put forth his power and will allow the sore of sinfulness to fester so that Satan will fully manifest himself. And that which has always been present in society will become predominant in society. And as Paul describes the last days in this passage, he speaks of a number of characteristics concerning the people that will be living. And as you read through those, you see that there have always been people like that. There have always been people who were lovers of themselves and who were lovers of money. There have always been children who were disobedient to parents. There have always been people who had no natural affection. There's nothing new about that. That has always been present in society. But Paul is saying that in the last days, that which has always been present in society will now become predominant in society. That which has up to now been the exception will become the rule. And that which you used to see only once in a while and you would look at shock with it because this was so uh, unusual and so unique, Paul says it will become the common practice. And in other places, the Scripture says men will even lose their ability to blush because these things will become so predominant and so consistent and you will become so used to them that men will lose the ability to even blush and to be ashamed. And the Christian needs to understand that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Have you ever wondered why it is that God allows the enemy to step up his attack? Why does he allow evil men to wax worse and worse? That's what he says in verse 13. Listen, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You may think that it's bad today, but the Bible says that it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes and calls the whole thing to a halt. Why is it that God allows things to get worse? Once in a while, someone will say, well, if God is, is God, like you say he is, and if he is a God of love and a God of mercy, then why doesn't he stop all of this? Why is he allowing this to go on? Why does God allow evil men to increase more and more and their, and their evil increase more and more? God is allowing 
evil to accelerate and increase and become complete so that in the end its defeat will be complete. Let's suppose that you are going to war today against a nation and the nation sent out against you only half of its force and you defeated that force but you had defeated only half of that force and so you could never rest easy. You could never sleep with both eyes closed. You could never write them off because their defeat had only been partial. Their defeat had only been complete. But if that nation sends against you every man that can carry a gun, every kid that can carry a stick, every woman that can throw a rock, if he throws against you the entire impact of all of his strength and then you defeat him, his defeat will be complete and final and you won't have to worry about him anymore. And God's defeat of Satan and evil is going to be absolutely complete and final. And that's why he's allowing things to get worse and worse day by day. But he's saying to the Christian, you need to know that these are going to be perilous times. They're going to be difficult times. The word difficult or perilous means hard to live by and difficult to deal with. You remember when Jesus got off the boat and he was walking through the cemetery and he met this man that was demon-possessed? And the Bible says that this demon-possessed man, filled with the fury of Satan, blocked his way so that the people could not get by? It's the same word that Paul uses here, translated perilous. In other words, these days are going to be so fierce and so hard and so difficult that it's going to be difficult for a Christian to make his way on the path. It's going to be more difficult for a Christian to stay on the straight and narrow path. And in the latter days, the time is coming when God is going to be sifting and separating the real genuine Christian from that one who's just playing a game and who's really just a phony. And you're going to discover that every day is going to bring it a little bit more difficult in your life. It's going to get a little bit harder for you to walk the path that God has wanted you to walk because the world is going to be filled with people who are diametrically opposed both in teaching and in practice to everything you believe. Wickedness is going to wax more and more and more, and the temptation for Christians to compromise is going to increase. It's going to be a difficult day in which to really live as a child of God ought to live. You're going to feel the pressure of the world more than you've ever felt it. You're going to feel the pressure to conform and compromise more than you've ever felt it. You see, when godliness was the rule in our country, it was easy to live a godly life. But every day, ungodliness becomes the rule in our life. And that which at one time in America was just present has today become predominant. And the predominant feature of the world today is immorality, ungodliness, irreverence, and false doctrine. And so the Christian is going to feel the pressure of the world, and that pressure is going to make it difficult for him in these last days. Now, Paul has three suggestions about how you and I are supposed to live in 1974 and how we are to take these difficult days and live through difficult days, both from within and from without, both from above and from hell beneath, 
even though there are difficult days and fierce days, there is a way that you and I can live through them victoriously. And he makes three suggestions. And you know, the first one surprises me. I was reading this passage of Scripture the other day. I really didn't know exactly how I was going to treat this passage. I simply knew that God wanted me to preach on this, but I, I didn't really know how he wanted me to do it. And as I was reading through this again and again, suddenly I came to a phrase, a command, that really startled me because what he was saying seemed so unlike God. And you know what he said? The first word of command that Paul gives to the Christians after he has told them how difficult it's going to be to live is found in verse 5. He says, these people will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. And as I read that verse again, suddenly that last phrase leaped out. From such, turn away. From such, turn away. I would have thought that Paul would have said, you seek these people out and you witness to them and you fellowship with them, and you try to talk them into believing in Jesus Christ. That's what I would have expected God to say. But instead, God says these people that are fierce, that are uh, uncontrollable, that are disobedient to parents, that have no gratitude, that are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, he says from these people, you turn away from them. You shun them. You get away from them and have no fellowship with them. And I said to myself, well, I know the Bible is true, but that seems so unlike God. The Bible over and over again says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and you and I are supposed to love the world. And Jesus was a friend of sinners and publicans, and you and I are supposed to love the world, love the people in the world, and love all men and do good unto all men. And yet, here in this passage, He says, avoid such people like this. From such, turn away. And so I decided to see if it said that anywhere else in the Bible. And you know what? I was amazed to discover that the Bible is full of that command. You know, some people believe the Bible because they don't know what it says. They just simply know what their preacher has always preached. And most of the time, we preachers are just preaching what our preacher preached to us who was preaching what his preacher preached to him. You know, Baptists sometimes are critical of other denominations because they make so much of tradition. Did you know that Baptists preach more tradition than they do Bible? I mean, most of us never really get into the Word for ourselves and read it word upon word, line upon line. We simply little sir echoes. And our pastor preached something, and so we preach it, and his pastor preached something, and he heard it, and he preached it. And what we're usually doing is preaching our beliefs and our convictions rather than the Word of God. And I was amazed to discover that the Bible is full of commands like this. Let me read just two or three. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, notice he's commanding, he's not giving a suggestion, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. And the word tradition there means teaching the word of God. Now Paul says if there is a brother that is disorderly, lives a disorderly life and doesn't believe the teaching of the word of God, you withdraw yourself from him. 
in verse 14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. All right, another one is in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, wish such an one know not to eat. Don't even sit down and eat with him. Now another one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. He said, if you see a fellow who's always arguing, always disputing, he has a corrupt mind, he doesn't know the truth, and he believes that the more you get, that the more godly you are, he says, from such you withdraw thyself. Have no fellowship with him. Let me just read one more in uh, 2 John verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine? In verse 9, it's the doctrine that Christ is the Son of God. And bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. And the first suggestion that Paul has for living a Christian life in difficult days is avoid certain types of people, the kind of people that he's mentioned right here. Just avoid them. Now, how do you explain that if you're supposed to love them? Let's suppose this morning that one of my loved ones, dearest loved ones, has a highly contagious disease. And if I get around them and company with them, I am liable to catch that dangerous, highly contagious disease. And so while they are in that contagious period, I will avoid them. I will withdraw myself from them. I will place a quarantine because I don't love them. No, because I do not want to catch what they have. And I want to tell you something. You'd better watch out about who you company with. You're liable to catch something they have. And I'm not talking about disease. And the very reason some people in the church can never get over the hurdle of living victoriously for Jesus Christ is they've never broken away from the old crowd. And they still find their circle of closest friends and companions within those who deny the Lord Jesus Christ and who live the kind of life that Paul is describing right there. God says, avoid such. Avoid such. And let me just say a word to the young people, the teenagers and the younger ones. Timothy was a young man, and Paul is speaking primarily to Timothy as a young man. You know, most young people that I know, I, I was this way myself, was very careless about the friends that I made. The basis of friendship was usually if they did something I liked or did me a favor or they liked me and... We were drawn together by a mutual admiration society. But I think that most young people are very careless about the friends they make in, first of all, discerning their spiritual character. 
And it is of utmost importance that a young person be very careful about who he makes his closest friends. And he must avoid some people. Why? Because a young person has not yet formulated his lifestyle. His philosophy of life, his way of living is not yet set in the concrete of his conviction. He is still forming. He is still asking questions. He is still taking in uh, information. He is still searching and trying to find out what life is all about. And if he encircles himself with the wrong kind of people, he will end up with the wrong kind of lifestyle. And the first thing that Paul says is you ought to avoid certain kind of people. Now, we don't have time to go through this whole list. You just read them over there and see if you're making your closest companions anybody that's in that list. And if you are, then you're asking for problems in your Christian life. And it is a command of God that you avoid them, not to refuse to love them and to help them, but to avoid them and do not find them as your closest companions and friends. All right, the second thing. Not only are we to avoid certain kind of people, but he says we are to anticipate persecution. We are to expect persecution. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. He says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you know my life that I've lived. In verse 11, he says, you know that I've suffered persecutions and afflictions which come unto me, came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, and these persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And Paul is saying, Timothy, Christians, I stood for Jesus and I lived in a difficult time and I suffered persecution. And lest you think that I'm an exception, lest you think that I'm a unique case, he adds verse 12 and he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now I want to ask you this morning, how many of you believe that verse? Everyone, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. you believe that verse? All right, how many of you are suffering persecution? Some of us are. Well, if all of us aren't, what does that mean? Now, that verse is either right or wrong. Now, persecution doesn't necessarily mean that they take you and tie you to a stake and set you on fire. There'd be no doubt about that. The word persecute, uh, persecute means to pursue, to follow after, to keep your eye on. Persecution involves, as well as physical punishment and pain, it also involves the world trying to trick you up and trying to catch you off guard and always watching you, always spying on you. Man, you'd think he's the president of the United States. They're always bugging your life and spying on you and trying to find out something to hold against you and they rail against you and will lie about you and will do everything in their power to discourage you. One day Jesus was walking through a cornfield on the Sabbath. And you know, there's a lot of humor in the Bible. We just can't see it. And Jesus was walking through this cornfield on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and so they began to eat the corn. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees said, Master, your disciples are eating corn with unwashing hands. Now, you know, I read that one day, and I thought to myself, what in the world were a bunch of Pharisees doing in the cornfield on the Lord's Day? <laughs> now, have you ever asked yourself that question? They're supposed to be in the synagogue. 
Now, what in the world would a bunch of Pharisees be doing in a cornfield on the Sabbath? I'll tell you what they were doing. They were following Jesus. They were watching him. They were spying on him so they could find something to hold against him. And all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, we need to see a couple of words. The word, uh, they that will live, the word will does not mean a mild desire to live for God, but it means a resolute determination. And I'll tell you, the only people this morning that are suffering persecution are not those who have a mild desire to go to heaven when they die. It is those who have a resolute determination. They have determined that whatever the cost, they are going to live godly in Christ Jesus. And the word godly literally means a Godward attitude. They have a Godward attitude about life. They live with a God reference. They live with a God reference. What does it mean to live with a God reference? Let me explain it like this. We all live with certain kinds of references. For instance, we live with a money reference. If I were to come to you today and I say, hey, why don't you just grab a plane with me tomorrow and let's go around the world? Now, you'd have to take certain things into account, and one of the first things you'd have to take into account is your money. And that's probably the first thing you'd say, man, I can't afford that. You live with a money reference to life, and much of what you do is determined by how much money you have. Then you have another reference. You have a job reference, and you evaluate what you can do in the light of your job. And you say, man, I couldn't take off that long. I, I'd come back and I'd be fired. I have a job. I've got to go to work tomorrow. And so we live with a job reference. I'll tell you another reference some of us have. We also have a wife reference. <laughs> and probably right after money, this one would come up. You'd say, man, if I were to get on that plane with you tomorrow and go, uh, I'd have to keep going. <laughs> you just don't have any idea what what my wife would say and do to me when I got back. Now, you have a family reference. We have a health reference. There are certain things we cannot do because our health prohibits us from doing it. You see, we, all, we take into account with every decision, every act, automatically, unconsciously. You don't think about it. It's just natural as breathing. But you have certain references that determine what, or what you not can do. Now, to live godly is to live with a Godward reference. And when somebody says, let's hop a plane and go around the world, the first thing you say is not, do I have enough money? Not, can I get off? Not, will my family be okay? But the first thing you say, will this please God? Will this please God? Will this be acceptable to God? And the Christian living godly in this present world who is one who determines, he has a resolute will, he has determined that no matter what happens or what the cost, in all things he is going to do that which pleases God. And I want to tell you something. If you'll live that way, brother, you're going to be persecuted. And if you will just start today saying, I am going to stop doing what pleases man, and I'm going to stop doing things just because I think it's the easiest way to get by, or it's the way that will make everybody happy, and I can conform to the world, but I'm going to do whatever it is that pleases God, and no matter how much against the grain of the world this is, and no matter what it costs, I am determined in everything to check it out with God first and only act in such a way as is pleasing to Him. And the Bible says, they that live that kind of life in this present world will suffer persecution. 
and it's going to be that way more and more and more. But Paul says, the Lord delivered me out of all my persecutions. Second thing, you anticipate persecution. Number three, Paul's last word to how to live in difficult days. Abide in the Word. Abide in the Word of God. In verse 13, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul says, Timothy, you're going to be living in a day when people are going to be jettisoning their faith they're going to be wanting to hear new things and new doctrines and moving on to new truth. But he says, Timothy, you stick with what you've learned. You continue, you abide in the Word of God because that's the only thing that will give you stability in this world. And there are so many Christians today who are unstable and are inconsistent and every wind of doctrine that blows, they yield to it and they blow with it. And you get in one kind of crowd, and you'll go with that crowd. You're a chameleon Christian. You just change colors to match your environment. And one of the greatest curses on Christendom today is the instability of most believers. And the Bible says the only way you can be stable in a world like this is if you stick with the Word of God. Stay with what you've learned. Stay with what you've learned. I wish I could speak to every student that goes off to college and there's going to be a temptation for you to depart from the faith and to hear some new teaching and adopt it, but I want to tell you something. You, stay, you stick and you stay with what you've learned. You abide in the Word of God. You know, he says something here that's very interesting. He says there are two reasons why a man ought to abide in the Word of God and what he has learned from a child when he went to Sunday school and they told him the Bible is the Word of God and Jesus loves you and God sent his Son to die for you just the simple ABCs of the truth. He says, when you get older and you get into the world and the world is trying to get you to compromise, he said, you stick with what you learned from a child. And he says, two reasons you ought to do it. Number one is because you remember who it was that taught you. I, to, to me, that, that's so precious. In verse 14, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And if you'll go back to the first letter to Timothy, he says, Thy mother Lois and thy grandmother Eunice taught you the Scriptures. And Paul is saying, Now, Timothy, men are going to get worse and worse and false teachers are going to arise and there's going to be a temptation for you to move away from the Word of God. But he says, You stay with what you learn. You abide in the Word. Why? Because he said, Remember who it was that taught you the Word. Do you think your mother would teach you something that was not beneficial? Wasn't your mother a godly mother? You knew your grandmother. Wasn't she a godly grandmother? And he says, I want to ask you a question, Timothy. These people that are coming along now with all these newfangled ideas and newfangled truths, does their holiness of life, does their purity of life match the purity of your mother and your grandmother? You know, I've checked this out. I've had some preachers in my life that have taught me some things in the Word of God. And then in our day, I hear a lot of strange and newfangled truths that really aren't new. They're just the old ones warmed over. The heresy. 
but I seemed to discern something. I noticed that every man and every group that is teaching heresy, right along with it, there is an ungodly life. And their holiness and their purity and their kindness and their gentleness doesn't even begin to match the gentleness and the kindness and the purity and the holiness of the men that taught me the truth of God. Now, when you go to college, young person, and your college professor stands up there and he begins to make fun of what you've been taught in Sunday school, begins to make fun of this Bible, he teaches you something else, I want, before you swallow what he says, you check out his personal life. You check out his personal life. You see what his belief has done for him. Not only because of who taught us, but also because of the teaching itself. He says, thou hast been fully assured. And that word fully assured means you had an inward witness that what you heard was the truth. Listen, I don't care who it is preaching. I may never have heard that man or seen that man in all of my life. But when he stands up and preaches the truth, there is something in here that says amen to it. You don't have to be a scholar or a seminary graduate. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew, brother, to recognize the truth. There is an inner assurance that that is the truth. And you go back and you stick, you stick with what those holy and pure people taught you. And you stick with that teaching that brought with it the inner assurance that this was true. It's the only thing that'll give you stability in this life. And it's the only thing that'll make you sufficient to live this life. He says the Word of God is profitable, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. I love that word perfect and thoroughly furnished. You know what it means? It means whole and complete in every part and portion, lacking absolutely nothing. Listen, I, it, it, it's a beautiful thought that Paul is trying to weave for us. He says you're going to be living in a world in which all hell is breaking loose. A world in which pornography will be as common as peanuts. A world in which there has always been disobedience to parents, but that which has always been present will now become predominant. A world in which there'll be no natural affection, and that word natural affection means no family love. Not only will children not love their parents, but parents won't love their children and won't take care of them. We've never had in our country such a rash and increase uh, of uh, child abandonment and child abuse. Just no natural affection. You're going to be living in a world that is going to be going through volcanoes and earthquakes and all the foundations that you have been brought up on are going to be crumbling. The things you have believed in, you can no longer believe in them. The people, the leaders of your country, everything is going, they're going to be truth breakers and traitors and you can't depend on a thing they say. But he said, I want to tell you something. You can live right through that kind of world and not lack anything. You can be absolutely entire, complete, having everything you need to live your life. And you know where you get it? Right here. You get it from the living word, which is Jesus Christ. And then when you have the living word, which is Jesus Christ, he draws you to the written word. 
And as a man knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and then not simply reads the Word, but abides in the Word, abides in the Word, continues in the Word, God says, I'm going to make you stable. You'll be able to stand it. You'll be able to take it. You won't be swept off your feet. You won't be discouraged. And he says, I'm going to make you sufficient. You'll have everything you need to live your life and to do anything that you need to do for God. You'll be able to do it because the Word of God will thoroughly furnish you, thoroughly furnish you. And I'll tell you the person who's going to sail through this storm and come out on the other side. I'll tell you the person who can walk through the fires of hell and end up in the arms of Jesus in glory. It's that person who knows the living Word, Jesus Christ, as his Lord and Savior, and that person who is fastened to the written Word, the Word of God, and he abides in it, and that Word abides in him, and he can walk through hell and come out without even the smell of smoke on him. And that's the only thing. It's not experience that makes you stable, and it's not blessings that makes you stable. It's not going to church that makes you stable. A lot of these folks have a form of godliness, but there's no power. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for them. Hey, do you know anybody like that? I know so many people that are religious, but it doesn't do a thing for them. And that's what the world's going to be filled with more and more. More people going to church than ever before, but doing less than ever before for them. More hypocrites than ever before. They have the outer appearance of godliness, but it means nothing in their lives. It has no power in their life. It has no power to overcome sin. It has no power to keep their home together. It has no power to help them meet their daily needs. It just absolutely is devoid of power. It's just a shell. Those that know Jesus in their heart and stay with the Word of God and obey it and live by it, God will deliver them through the storm, through the fire. That's why I love that song, Through It All. That's just about my favorite song. I can hardly stand it. I thank Him for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys, and I thank Him for the storms He's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve it. Through it all, I've learned to trust in His Word. I've learned to trust in His Word. I want to tell you something. You can go off with all of your loves and all of your affections and all of your little gods, but when life begins to crumble around you and your world begins to come apart at the seams, there's only one thing that's going to see you through. And that's the Word of God. The living Word, Jesus. And the written Word, the book. Would you bow your heads for a moment? The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit SherwoodBaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from a study Bible, please visit RonDunn.com.